0: This is the art of femininity. Today's episode has been sponsored by Aristo, a feminine lifestyle company meaning the best of its kind, noblest, bravest, most virtuous. Aristo merges faith, femininity, fellowship, and fashion through three distinct divisions the association, the academy, and the atelier. If you would like to learn more about Aristo, please visit www.aristoandco.ca and follow us on Instagram at aristoandco.ca. Let us begin. In the previous podcast episode, we talked about how femininity is about our foundation, which we now know is God. Since we know this to be the only firm foundation that can stand, today's episode is titled The Divine Design of Femininity. To commence, we'll need to start in the beginning, where it all began, and subsequently cover God's design for mankind, the fall, how it affects us and ultimately our femininity, and what we can do about it. So once again, we'll need to start in the beginning, where it all began, and subsequently cover God's design for mankind, the fall, how it affects us, and ultimately our femininity, and what we can do about it. I'd like to open by reading two scriptures side by side. In John 1 verse 1, it reads in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then we read in Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why do I start here? Well, you'll notice both scriptures reference and use the words in the beginning. The start of John unmistakably echo those in Genesis. Now I'm honing in on this because it's important we understand the juxtaposition of both mentions of in the beginning to guide us in where this experience we call life really started so we can fully grasp the divine design of femininity. Both verses use the same introductory words, invoke the same themes, light, creation, life, and employ the same stylistic structure. Yet the words in the beginning do not mean the same when we place each verse side by side. It's John one that should be by all rights, the primary passage through which we interpret Genesis one. John one verse one is the principle of beginnings, or you can say the beginning of all beginnings and remarkably outside of time. Whereas Genesis one verse one is the developmental beginning, which includes time. Essentially, what I'm trying to break down here is that to fully understand the beginning, we need to realize God had no beginning. He's timeless, outside of time, and therefore always existed. He always was. This is how we can interpret John 1 verse 1, and then we can see the beginning of God's creation in Genesis 1 verse 1, which at that point includes time. In the continuation of scripture in Genesis 1, God's design for mankind is revealed we see God's creation of mankind with Adam and Eve. They were the first human beings on the planet. While many of us already know the story, some believing it to be true and others believing it to be a fallacy or fable, many might not know the story at all. But regardless of your familiarity or stance on its reliability, if any woman lacks the knowledge or denies the very truth of Adam and Eve, that woman will ultimately lack the ability to believe the truth about the one true God, who he created us to be, and certainly not be able to see how the fall of Eve affects all of us and our femininity as women from our past, the present, and our future, ultimately blinding us and stopping us entirely from what we can do about it. That's why I need to cover the full story of Adam and Eve. I'm going to go beyond the surface and address the root issue so any woman listening can recognize its theological importance fully understand the ancestral impact on our femininity, and be able to do something about it, equipping us to see and make the changes we wish to see in ourselves and our lives today. A brief reading from Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This man, called Adam, was the first human being, but the Lord God said, "'It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him.'" So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her up to the man. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. God's creation Adam and Eve was intentional purposeful and divinely designed. God's design for Adam was to obey God And love Eve unconditionally and sacrificially by display of authority and responsibility to lead her and his children as a family. God's design for Eve was to also obey God and love Adam unconditionally and willfully by display of submitting to his authority by helping him, bearing and caring for his children, and following his lead for the family. While both be equally accountable for maintaining mutual submission to one another. Eve's femininity was the perfect polarity to Adam's masculinity both counterparts to have and experience perfect love and respect in marriage while embracing who they were created to be as individuals as they grew in their relationship with God in total obedience to him and Adam and Eve had this when they were placed in the Garden of Eden they were given everything they needed unique self-identities distinct roles companionship with one another food, work, and fellowship with God as they walked with him in the cool of the day. It was perfect until it wasn't. A serpent entered the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve. God had given food from every tree in the garden but commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve was tempted by the serpent, ate the forbidden fruit, then gave it to Adam who also ate of the fruit. This event was catastrophic. Now known as the Fall, God judged Adam and Eve for disobeying his command. Let's dig a little deeper. The fall brought on God's judgment, tainting and cursing every part of their lives in several ways, from their relationship with him, within themselves, in their femininity and masculinity, with one another, and ultimately every part of their lives from that moment on. This was the consequence of disobeying God, which his righteousness demanded. But of course, we know through his mercy, God provided the solution which was his son Jesus. But let's continue in understanding how the curse affected every part of Adam and Eve's lives which will lead us to understanding how it actually affects us today. We'll start with their relationship with God. What was once harmonious was now separated and true to his word Adam and Eve became mortal and entered the process of death. God cast them out from the Garden of Eden and into the world, meaning they and their children could not walk face-to-face with God. Following along, let's talk about Eve and her femininity. Eve was not tempted merely by the delicious tasting fruit, no, and far from it. The root of Eve's temptation was the temptation of total independence, that she could be like God by knowing good from evil if she ate the forbidden fruit. And it's not that God was withholding something from Eve. God was protecting her. As humans, we weren't built to carry the knowledge of evil and experience the suffering we do today. Believing the lie that she could be like God fed her interest in being her own God with total independence and the curse would cause her to struggle internally with her desire to have control of her life, especially control in her relationships, to do things on her own, in her own way, without help from anyone sound familiar and then there's adam and his masculinity while it is true that chronologically eve sinned before adam the bible places the blame on adam as the one responsible for the fall of mankind because god gave adam the responsibility over his family adam was responsible for eve to protect her to help her and he didn't he was passive and followed her instead of him leading the way That's why Adam holds the responsibility of the fall for all of humanity. His curse was in relation to authority over his family and his responsibilities and his work. It would afflict him all the days of his life. Sound familiar? And finally, the relationship between Adam and Eve. In terms of Adam and Eve's relationship with one another, God's command for the relationship, which we talked about earlier, was still intact, but their ability to follow through with his commands would be a struggle. God's judgment on Eve, specifically in Genesis three sixteen, says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Let me explain because you cannot read this scripture at face value. What the scripture is actually saying is you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The statement he will rule over you is not a biblical command for men to abuse their authority and dominate women. Just want to be clear here. The most basic and straightforward understanding of this verse is that women and men would now have ongoing conflict and hold a power struggle. God is saying that Eve would desire to rule over her husband, but her husband would instead rule over her, replacing the mutually interdependent relationship "'that the Lord had created with one spouse "'to lead the other, sin had wrought discord. "'The battle of the sexes had begun. "'Both man and woman would now seek "'the upper hand in marriage. "'The man who was to lovingly care and nurture his wife "'would now seek to rule her, "'and the wife would desire to seize control "'from her husband.' Eve's curse against her and her femininity involved pain and struggle in her submission and relationships, while Adam's curse against him and his masculinity involves pain and struggle in his authority and his responsibilities. Again, sound familiar? This leads me to the fact that the fall didn't just affect Adam and Eve. No, it affects all of us, which for us as women includes our femininity. We inherited the curse that God laid on Adam and Eve, and therefore, not only can we relate to Eve, but we all have directly experienced what she faced with God, herself, men, and in life itself. How it affects us today, and ultimately our femininity. Well, through the story of Adam and Eve, we can now see the former perfection they once had and its ruin. We know this to be true because we are experiencing the very curse we inherited from Adam and Eve today. Let me illustrate how Eve's decision has spiderwebbed, affecting all of us today and our femininity through our relationship with God, within ourselves, our male counterpart, and in broader terms, life itself. Following the same sequence, we'll start with our relationship with God. In today's modern society, more and more, we're seeing the lack of faith amongst women and their rebellion against the ways of God. Unfortunately, even some women who do have faith in God have one foot in and one foot out of the church. And I don't mean physically, I mean figuratively. A term used to describe this kind of person would be lukewarm, ultimately taking some of the ways of God seriously and some not. For those lacking faith, I want you to think about your past present and future in this moment have you in the past and are you currently living in total independence from god like eve have you experienced rebellion and have deemed it as merely college days or no big deal because everyone's gone through it yet in matthew 5 19 to 20 it reads trivialize even the smallest item in god's law and you will only have trivialized yourself But take it seriously, show the way for others, and you will find honor in the kingdom. Are you currently rejecting the ways of God and in control of your life rather than trusting that God is in control? Proverbs 19 verse 21 reads, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Understand when this scripture references a man's heart, it means mankind, not men. And what about your future? Don't wait until your final days to think about your relationship with God. Frankly, we don't even know when our final day will come. I challenge you to think about your relationship with God right now, if you haven't already. Now, for those with faith, are you living in obedience before the Lord? Going to church, being in Bible study are strong spiritual disciplines. And while I would recommend it for a variety of reasons, God is more concerned about the heart. While works are not the foundation of our salvation— works are the result of true faith and we are still expected to flee our sin. So ask yourself today, am I living in true obedience before the Lord or are there ways I am living independently from God still in my sin? Following along the relationship we have with ourselves, there are so many ways we can relate to Eve today in our own rebellion, our desire for independence, loss of righteousness, shame, our struggle for control, our cursed environment, and ultimately physical death. Many women are struggling with the relationship they have with themselves knowingly and unknowingly. Some women are outright rejecting their biological sex and identity as a female, a direct rebellion against themselves and God's design in their femininity. Then we're seeing the polar opposite in the idealization of being female, a goddess to be worshipped, Both examples of how we've mirrored the same desires as Eve, the desire to be our own God. This is heavily influenced by a culture that prioritizes the self at all costs. We see this in the popularity and rise of the self-love movement, yet the Bible teaches us to die to our old selves. In Ephesians 4.24, we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Furthermore, we are to deny ourselves and follow God. And now our relationship with man. From our earthly father, brothers, boyfriend, husband, or men in general, if we can start to see the either subtle or obvious big or small power struggles in our relationship with men, we can see how the fall has and still affects us today. Just like the relationship with our Heavenly Father, all women have experienced at least some form of disunity with their earthly father, whether that be direct rebellion or mere conflict. The father-daughter relationship is not to be minimized. This is the foundation of all other relationships with men. God calls us to honor our father, and of course our mother, And that's not dependent on how they treat us. Of course, fathers have a duty to their daughters and many don't always follow through on their authority and accountability. But remember, the fall of Adam affected our fathers just as we have been affected by the fall of Eve. This is not to excuse any mistreatment women have received from their fathers, but the story of Adam and Eve can help us see that they too, like us, are living from a place of brokenness because of sin so we are to forgive our fathers for their faults should they need to be forgiven. We also have to see our part in the quality of our relationship with our fathers because we're not perfect and we need to be able to own our imperfections. Because just as Christ forgave us, we are expected to forgive others and quickly. Though not easy, it's absolutely necessary for the father-daughter relationship to be in harmony to the best of its ability, and that means doing everything in your own capacity to see that come to pass. Forgiveness can be from afar, especially if abuse has been involved, but that may or may not mean temporarily. God is a God of restoration, especially people and relationships, and no person or relationship is beyond repair for God. And simply put, the same goes for our brothers. Whether younger or older, our relationships with our brothers have a substantial impact on our lives and the relationship we have with other men. We should do everything we can to be in harmony with our siblings. When it comes to boyfriends and men in general, many women are living outside of God's design in their relationship with the opposite sex. We're seeing women outright reject men, going as far to say that we as a society don't need them or even want them. We see this with same-sex attraction and in the glorification of being single, an independent boss babe, prioritizing careers over relationships, marriage, and family, and instead raising dogs, cats, or animals over children, going as far to have extravagant birthday parties for them and calling them their children or babies. Some may minimize this and some might find it funny, but it's not to be minimized and this is no joke. This is how far we've steered away from God to the point of trivializing such a subject. Scripturally, God created Eve for Adam and gave explicit instructions for women to bear children. Allow me to read an excerpt from Genesis one twenty-eight. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. What we often forget as women is that we are intended to have children not just for them to have an earthly life, but in purpose for their eternal life. To not bring children into the world is to deprive unborn children of the joys of eternal life. On the contrary, many women have believed the lie that sexual liberation is empowerment and have gone as far to pursue it, chasing after complete power and control in their relationship with men, yet still feeling unfulfilled and deeply dissatisfied. We're also seeing the normality of sex outside of marriage and cohabitation, and we must understand the severity and risks to directly opposing God's instruction in regards to this. Not to mention, have you ever thought about how highly advantageous it is for men with no concrete advantages for women? Men receiving the advantages of what only a wife is meant to offer without full reciprocation, that is, providing a real commitment and holding the responsibility in being a husband. I urge women to see sex outside of marriage as simply this, temporal, momentary pleasure, and cohabitation as mere convenience. As women, if we choose to have sex outside of marriage and live with a man that's not our husband, we're ultimately choosing to again, take control of our own lives, do things our own way, and go against God's explicit instruction. The risk? We place ourselves in a very vulnerable scenario in which men can walk away for any reason without any responsibility for emotional, physical, spiritual, or financial accountability towards us as well as opening up ourselves to unexpected pregnancy and devastating health risks. Because the truth is, it's only sex and living together within marriage, a covenant relationship to one another that can truly protect us and fulfill us. And that goes for men too. How so? Well, marriage is not just a piece of paper, as I've heard many say. One should know marriage is not only a promise to one another, but also a promise to God to love and respect their partner. And while some might argue they don't want marriage or have a perfectly successful relationship outside of marriage, we can see the manifestation of our lineage in Eve's decision through this type of thinking stemming from her desire for her own independence and control. Remember, the root of Eve's decision was to be like God and do things her own way. Now am I saying marriage equates to a perfect relationship? Absolutely not. The point here is to share that choosing to live outside of God's perfect design for mankind has consequences and will never fully fulfill the deeper longings of your heart. And finally, our relationships with our husbands. We see how Eve's decision has spiderwebbed and that includes the relationships within marriage. The need to control husbands and act on it through regular or ongoing correction, direction, and domination resulting in total emasculation, especially when done in front of others. This is the subtle and slow breaking down of the masculine spirit and ultimately unknowable fleeing from our own feminine spirit. It's important to know that what I've said here is meant to point out the need for all of us as women, including myself, to collectively examine our urge for control of our lives, to also examine the priorities we've placed in our lives and put them up against the priorities God has laid out for us in his word. As we draw near to the end of this episode, we must answer, so what can we do about it? Well, it's not going to be easy, not even a little bit. Difficult, yes, impossible, no. First and foremost, we need to receive this reality on life, not belittle its importance or dismiss it because it goes against what we personally want and feel. We are to reject our preferences and look only to what God says. Rather than drawing conclusions about life and how life works, we all need to receive this revelation of truth, see life today the way it truly is. Not the way we think it is, the way the culture has made it out to be, or the way we personally want it to be, but the revelation of God's reality. Let it be granted to you to the end that we can all know how life works. Secondly, we need to release control. How do we do that? through repentance like eve we desire control in our lives and in the decisions we make while we naturally look to seek it we're meant to release it to god we must go to god reviewing and admitting our past and current wrongs that have directly opposed god with the intention to flee from ruling and reigning in our own lives and allow god to rule and reign in our lives To lift the burdens that hold each of us down, that we were never meant to carry, and receive the forgiveness and grace only God can offer. To trust in God with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, allowing us to discover, embrace, and delight in the depths and beauty of our femininity. And finally, we need a renewing of our mind. In Romans 12, 2, it reads, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we invite God to change us, starting with our mind, he will renew it and us. A renewed mind leads to a renewed spirit and renewed spirit leads to a renewed life. In closing, we can see how our femininity has been absolutely corrupted because of sin through the story of Adam and Eve. And while through Adam we are sinners, it's through Christ we are saved, redeeming humanity and, of course, us as women and, as a result, our femininity. In 2 Corinthians, we're promised, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What this scripture promises is that if you choose to return to God, you will experience life-altering transformation in your relationship with him, within yourself, with men, and ultimately in all areas of your life, enabling you to embrace your femininity in its original design. Heavenly, celestial, ethereal, divine. Thank you for listening to today's episode on The Art of Femininity. If you'd like to rate or review the podcast, please do so now and be sure to stay tuned for the following episodes. If you'd like to connect, follow me on Instagram at m-l-l-e dot a-n-g-e-l-i-n-e c-a-r-e-y and at aristoandco.ca and on TikTok at The Art of Femininity.